preparing for this lesson. And I think that's because so many of us, uh, all of us, indeed, face temptation. It is something that is part of the human condition. It's, it's part of what we can expect from life. There is sin in this world, and we are often tempted to sin. It is not something that Jesus was immune from. Uh, while, of course, he lived without sin, uh, he was tempted as we are. And today we're going to look at Jesus as he's being tempted as a human. You know, we think of Jesus as divine. Uh, and sometimes people seem to think, well, Jesus had uh, a cheat sheet. It was easy for him not to sin because he was divine. He was 100% God. It is true that he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And he faced temptation just like we did. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our, our sickness, our pain, our feelings, loneliness, all the things that we face and that cause us to fall in temptation, into temptation, Jesus also faced. And yet without sin. Right, So that he was a proper sacrifice for us. He could be that substitute sacrifice for us. And so Jesus was all divine, but he was also human. And so we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus, the temptation of Christ. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's only mentioned in a couple of verses in Mark, although it does have a couple of interesting details that aren't in Matthew or Luke. Uh, both Matthew and Luke give narrative accounts of it, and, I, and rather than read both, I think we're going to just read uh, Matthew, although I will pull a couple of details uh, from Luke as we, as we talk about this this morning. But I want to start by reading Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is the what I believe to be the chronological account of Jesus's temptation. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. Uh, ESV says he was hungry. Uh, I think that goes without saying, but it, he makes uh, uh, interesting to emphasize the fact that after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry, right? It says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Uh, it's a remarkable account, right, this temptation of Jesus. Uh, 
Uh, and we see Jesus being tempted after fasting for 40 days. He was obviously very hungry. The, the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that uh, there is indeed uh, a personal devil. Satan is not a mythological creature, right? We see him appear in the garden in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. We see him talking to God about Job and then tempting Job. And we see him here tempting Jesus. The question is not whether the devil is a real creature. He certainly is. It's more of a question here of how did he come to Jesus? Was this physically that he came to him? Was it spiritually? Was it mentally through some sort of vision? And the answer appears to be sort of a mix of all of these. In a way, that's, that's how he comes to us, isn't it? I mean, Satan can appear to us physically when we, we turn a corner and we are presented with a physical temptation that we were not expecting. Or he can appear to us mentally and spiritually in our heart, in our mind, as we fight a war against temptation. And it appears to be that kind of a mix here uh, and that there's some instance of the miraculous. Luke talks about the fact that he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth in an instant, right? That must be some sort of miraculous thing. Or he takes him, it seems like he takes him and makes him appear on the pinnacle of the temple or on this exceedingly high mountain and shows him these visions. And so it seems that there is a mix of those things here. Uh, Another thing that we can learn is that temptation can often closely follow some great spiritual event, right? Something really good might happen. We might be on a spiritual high and Satan's going to attack us when we're off guard, when we're at what we think is our best. We're no longer at guard, right? And we see that here. Jesus has just been baptized and blessed, confirmed, confessed by God the Father. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descended on Him in the form of a dove. All three of the Godhead in one place. This great spiritual high as Jesus begins His ministry. That's when He is taken off into the wilderness And what we see is that's when Satan attacks, right? So he's just come from a spiritual high. And and the same thing is true of the church. Persecution came to the church right after the day of Pentecost, right after the church is established. Oftentimes, when we're new Christians, that's when Satan is going to attack. That's the first time he really wants you, because before then, he already had you, right? But now... You are a new Christian, and you might be on a a spiritual high, but you're still weak. You're still a newborn babe. It's time to attack from Satan, right? And he does that in in innumerable ways. He he goes for your family. He goes through your your friends, right? You can't always do the things that you did before as a new Christian. We see that, that Satan attacks us when we're weak. I also want to take a look at the place that this happens. So this is the Jordan River. 
And at the time, of course, now it is a very controlled river. Uh, that's the main water source for Israel. And so it's kind of, in most places, it's kind of a trickle because they need all the water they can get. They're very concerned with water levels of the Sea of Galilee and of the Jordan River. But when Jesus was there, it was more wild. It looks more like this particular picture. Uh, And we know that he's baptized in the wilderness because that's where John was. He was baptizing in the wilderness at a spot in the Jordan where there was much water. So he's already in the wilderness, but now the Spirit is going to lead him out into the wilderness. Mark talks about it being a place where the wild animals are. Uh, And I think, I I was thinking about this, you know, certainly at this time, especially, there are all sorts of wild animals out there in the wilderness in Israel that you would want to be concerned with, right? I mean, there's lions, there's a certain type of bear, Uh, There are jackals, there are uh, wild boar, there are vipers. Uh, For me, if I'm going to go off into one of these caves that you see uh, in some of this wilderness, I'm going to be concerned about spiders. I'm just telling you that's how it is with me. I I don't like spiders. But but that's kind of how this place was. But I think it's more than being concerned about wild animal attacks. I think Mark puts that in here to make it clear that this is, this is not a place where people are. This is a place where the animals are. You know, Jesus is going out into the wilderness, and it's going to be lonely. There's going to be no human contact. So while he's struggling, he has no support other than God. And at the end, it seems that God sent angels. So he's relying fully on God, and he has no contact with other people. Now, this is uh, the Supermax prison, ADX Florence. It's, it's called the Alcatraz of Colorado. It is in the middle of nowhere. Colorado is a very isolated place. Uh, it is where we send our absolute worst prisoners. Uh, these, a lot of these guys are terrorists uh, that some countries would have interest in helping escape. They have anti-aircraft missile batteries around there, uh, and it would be very, very difficult to escape from this, this prison. In addition, everything there is pretty much made of concrete. Your bed is made of concrete. The toilet is made of concrete. Everything that, that's there is made of concrete. Everyone is in solitary confinement. They have very limited contact with guards and with people. They have one window, and it points upward so that they can't see the surrounding area but they can just see the sky. And when they are taken outside for exercise, they are put into kind of a a vault, a tub, where they just can see the sky. They can't see the surrounding area, so they can't plan any type of escape. One of the terrorists that's housed there was quoted as saying, these are places to silence us, to keep you controlled. I consider the supermax a psychological torture chamber. That is what it is. So this kind of isolation often leads people to go crazy because we need human contact. And I think a lot of times when we look at the temptation of Jesus, we don't think about that loneliness aspect to it. But Jesus felt loneliness, and he is out in this wild place with God and the wild animals, and that's it. 
Another thing I want us to think about is even the holiest of people can fall into temptation. All of us are tempted, right? And all of us have sinned. So Jesus fell into temptation, but he never fell to temptation, right? He never sinned. But we, we think of Joseph, right? He was a man of God. He didn't sin either, right? When, when he was presented with opportunity, he ran, he fled from it. We think of Elijah, who after his great spiritual victory in, in 1 Kings 19, he, he has to go out into the wilderness. And he was sorely tempted and he was lonely. And of course, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, I think we need to keep in mind, I think sometimes I hear people surprised if they hear about a preacher who has fallen into temptation, who has done something, or an elder, or a deacon, or or one of the the leading men in a congregation. All of us are tempted. Even the holiest of people are tempted. And all of us sin. All of us need Christ. We need to support each other. And we think back to Adam and Eve. I want to talk a little bit about that. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis 3, and we'll also be uh, in a little bit in Deuteronomy. So we'll, we'll hang around in the Old Testament for a little bit. But look at Genesis 3, and I want to talk about this temptation of Adam and Eve. You know, <coughs> excuse me, Romans 5 and uh, 1 Corinthians 15 both talk about sin coming into the world through Adam, through the first man, Adam. Uh, and we see this sin coming in in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, where both Adam and Eve sin. And I want to read this and perhaps put it in a little bit different light than you, you may have thought about this event before. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I don't know how your Bible is arranged, but on mine, straight across the page over... In Genesis 2, I've got a little line written to where God said this commandment to Adam. And it's in chapter 2, verse 17. It says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It seems to me that somebody has added something to what God said. When Eve says it to Satan, she says, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Did God say that? No, he didn't say you shouldn't touch it. When you add to God's word, you're already inviting danger, right? So she's referencing God's word, the only command they had from God. But she has added to it, or Adam, who God spoke to, has added to it and said, Thou shalt not touch it. Just note that. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, Then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. Notice she's taking it. She's touched it, right? 
So if Adam told her, don't even touch it or you'll die, and now she's touched it and she didn't die, now she's going to lead into eating it. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, what's those next words? With her. He was right there. You know, I kind of always pictured Adam being back home, and she's shopping at Walmart for the the groceries, right? She's in the garden gathering, and the Satan comes to her, and uh, she brings it home from Walmart and says, oh, I got this fruit. You know, I tried it, and it's good. You should do it. That's not what happened at all. Adam is right there with her. I think that's vitally important detail. And he did eat. When we compare the sin of Adam to Christ, what we see is Adam's sin was in not knowing his place as head of the household. When Satan is speaking to Eve, his wife, he should have stopped it, right? He should have been the head of the house and said, go away, Satan, flee, Satan. I know what the word of the Lord is, and we're going to follow it. Instead, he's letting someone else go first and test out the water. He's not being the leader that he should be. He's seeing if Eve's going to die based on what God had said, right? Then he sees the physical, and he gives in. Then he sees the spiritual He wants that knowledge, right? And he gives in. And he had at his disposal God's word, and he remained silent. And he lets Eve sin. Uh, I think that's really important. Then we look at Jesus. What do we see? He knows his place as the head of faith, the household of faith, the head of the church. He goes alone. He's not with any support, and he confronts sin head on. He sees the physical, and he doesn't give in. He sees the spiritual, and he doesn't give in. And he had at disposal God's word, and he uses it as the weapon against Satan. I think that's a vital point, that when Satan is striking at our weakest point, what we need to turn to is the Word of God, right? That's what Jesus uses every time to combat Satan. He also strikes at the weakest point. We look at this first temptation. Every man is tempted when he's at his weakest point. That's when Satan is going to come to us. He knows our soft spots. We look at James 114, it talks about Satan's like a, a roaring lion looking for the one who he can devour, right? He's going to come to us when we're at our weakest. It, Matthew kind of makes it clear. He's coming to Jesus here after he's been fasting for 40 days, and he's going to tempt him with food. That's what he's tempting him with. But we see that Satan can be defeated. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses, he he quotes part of verse 3, but we're going to read verses 2 and 3. No, that's Numbers, not Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8 and verses 2 and 3. 
It says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus quotes part of that verse, but in the greater context, what he is saying here is, look, Satan, God took care of sinful Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He could take care of me, Jesus, who is not sinful and is only 40 days in the wilderness. God can provide for Jesus. And Jesus is referencing that. So he's not only, I mean, I'm sure Satan knew the context of that scripture as well. But the the bigger context is God took care of sinful Israel. He's going to take care of me. I'm not sinning. So the devil can be defeated. We look at that second temptation. Now, Satan carries him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and he takes him up to the pinnacle, uh, one of the pinnacles of the temple, a high point, and he, he says, cast yourself down, right? Now, to some, you would say, well, that's not a very great temptation. I, I don't want to jump down off of here, right? That's not very tempting. But to Jesus, he could establish his kingdom right there. He could jump down. God would save him. He would kind of swoop in, fly into the temple, and say, I'm the son of God. I just proved it by jumping off the temple. Declare me king and and set me up right here, right? And he would not have to go through the suffering that he was going to face. Jesus knew what the path that he was on was leading to. He talks about it Later, he tells the apostles what he's going to have to face. So here, Satan is up to his old tricks. First, when Satan quotes scripture to Jesus, isn't that funny? Satan's trying to use his verses, right? Sometimes that happens to us as well. We're trying to teach somebody the gospel. They say, yeah, but these other verses uh, say different things, you know, and they try to, to throw confusion in. And that's not the Bible, and God is not the author of confusion. But in this case, Satan leaves out part of the verse from Psalm 91.11. He leaves out the part where it says, in all your ways. I think that's conditional, that God would guard Jesus from being hurt as long as he was in the way, as long as he was walking the way God told him to do. We look at the man of God, it says, who was disobedient, the, the disobedient prophet in the Old Testament, he was devoured by a lion. But Daniel was obedient, and he was able to be in the lion's den without being hurt. Uh, God did not want Jesus to introduce or announce his ministry in this way, essentially to fly into the midst of the, the temple and declare he is the Messiah. That would have strayed from the path that God led him. And I think we can also learn that no single scripture exhausts everything that God has to say on a subject. Right? We have to take into account everything that the Bible says about important subjects, right? About salvation and, 
and things of that nature. And that's why we don't just turn to one scripture. We look at the totality of scripture whenever we study this, right? And he uses Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. And in that verse, and Jesus also says, on the other hand, or in addition to, God has also said, verse from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, which reads, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massive. Right? That's where the Israelites were upset. God led them out of the wilderness, and there's no water, there's no food. You're not providing for us, right? They tested God. God was going to take care of them, and he did. Uh, And here, Jesus points that out. We get to the third temptation. Here, Satan abandons his strategy, uh, and instead... He uses a different device. He's going to try to bargain and compromise with Jesus. He's going to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And I offer you all of this. You can be king right now. You don't have to suffer and die. You can, you can be king forever of all the world. And he shows it all to him in an instant, right? And I've heard some people say, well, Satan really didn't have that to offer. He couldn't have delivered on that. That's not, I don't think that's true. I think it's true today as it was then that Satan is a ruler in this world. Satan holds sways over the kingdoms of the world. Jesus even calls him in John 12, 31, the ruler of this world. And Paul uses similar language in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. But... God has ultimate control and power. He's able to limit the power of Satan. He has declared what power and to what extent Satan has power, even in this world. And he has allowed Satan to possess these kingdoms. So God limits Satan's activity, showing God's ultimate power and authority. And here Satan tries to tell Jesus that you can achieve your goals right now without having to have pain and suffering, but He shows it to him in an instance. And the reason he does that is because if he let Jesus linger on the proposition at all, he would see how worthless all the kingdoms of the world of all time really are compared to God. Why would Satan be willing to trade all of that just for Jesus to worship him if they were worth anything at all? The rewards of God are infinitely better than the rewards of of Satan. Satan can make things look good, but God actually makes things good, right? Satan then flees from Jesus. Jesus actually literally says, go, right? He tells him, go, Satan. In the Greek, it's one word. He's like, go, just leave. That's his defense. And then he quotes, uh, Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. Right? Jesus knew his place. And he knew how to resist Satan. But it's the funny thing. They say that opportunity only knocks once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. Right? The idea is that temptation doesn't stop right there. You know, I think Jesus was tempted throughout this time that he was in the desert, in the wilderness. But 
while it says Satan fled from him, Luke points out that he fled for him for a season, right? Until a more convenient time to come back and attack Jesus again and to try again and again. And I think Satan, it's not like Satan left, he was defeated here, and that was the end of it, right? He's going to continually face its temptation. And we face that as well. Uh, he comes back to Jesus. Uh, he will keep returning. It says James 4, 7 promises to resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? But he will keep coming back to us. And I think one of the things we need to realize is that the Bible teaches that temptation can actually lead to good things. When we resist temptation, it, it works patience, right? God works on us and refines us like the refining process in gold that's put through the fire and the impurities are removed and it's put through again and more impurities are removed. He's working on us. He's refining us. And temptation is one of the things, as we resist temptation, it's one of the things that builds us up and helps us as we face things in the future that God is preparing us for. And he can prepare us as we face things to help other people who are going through similar difficulties. We can use each other to build each other up. That's the great thing about the Christian family, right? Is we're able to lean on one another, share in each other's happiness. I know some people that aren't too happy when something good happens to somebody else, right? Jealousy or covetousness. But in the family of God, we should be Good, glad when, when things happen that are good to our brothers and sisters, right? We, we rejoice when they rejoice. And we cry, we weep when they weep. But Satan will keep coming back. And so we have to continually fight against it. And we have to rely on the Word of God. And we look to Jesus as our example, the perfect example of how to resist Temptation, And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said to flee, go away, Satan. And he used God's word to defend himself. I am absolutely sure that everyone in here, including myself, deals with temptation on a daily basis. We deal with life's difficulties. And we have to rely on each other and on God and on God's word to help us. But if you have fallen to temptation, if you are sinning, you are actively in a lifestyle or actively participating in a sin, we would encourage you this morning to confess that, repent from it, turn away from it, and to make it right. If you are a child of God, if you've been baptized, then you can come back. We will pray with you and for you, and we will help you along the way. If you have never put on Christ a baptism, we would encourage you to do that today. Be washed of your sins, and then walk in the way. Be a new creature, a new babe in Christ, and we will help you resist temptation in that way as well. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, come forward and make it known as Carl leads us in the invitation song.